You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. Coming up tonight after the show, we've got high school football, free state on the airwaves. Tomorrow, we've got KU action starting at 5, pregame at 3.30. Hear it right here with the Jayhawk Radio Network on KLWN and at KLWN.com. KU takes on West Virginia. We'll get to that in just a moment. The wait is over, though. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime and anywhere across the Sunflower State. To celebrate, DraftKings is giving new Kansas customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything and get $200 in free bets instantly. I mentioned I did that kind of no-risk same-game parlay last night. I'll say this real quick about that Bills-Rams game. We knew coming into the game the Bills were one of the best teams in the NFL. I mean, they were the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl. But a lot of people viewed that as like, oh my gosh, they absolutely just demoralized the Rams. They're not just a great team. They're an all-time team. And I'm sitting there going, okay, we already knew the Bills were good. I didn't walk out of this game thinking the Bills are any better than I thought they were. They're a good team. I walked out of that game going, the Rams are going to have a Super Bowl hangover this year. Yeah, the they Rams, looked terrible. Yeah, the Rams suck. <laughs> They're just bad. Matthew Stafford looked like Detroit Lions. Matthew Stafford. Yeah, it was it was not good. But yeah, I 100 percent agree with you. The takeaway from that game was not wow, the Bills are amazing. Mm-hmm. The takeaway was wow, the Rams stink. Right. It's not to take away from the Bills. Like the Bills are a good team. I just yes. I didn't view that game specifically as being like oh my gosh, you can't beat them. Um, but how my same game parlay went. Josh Allen over 254 and a half passing yards. Great. Josh Allen anytime TD had the rushing touchdown. Great. Cooper Cup anytime touchdown. Great. And then Cam Akers happened. And, and, and Allen Robinson, Robinson happened. Allen's they had a combined Allen 12 yards. Allen Robinson, Allen Robinson had, what, one catch? One catch for 12 yards. Cam Akers had three carries for zero yards. So that was not great. But honestly, looking back, I'm kind of glad they were so far away from doing it because I didn't know this till I was, I was doing research on it this morning. Isaiah McKenzie, that was the last part of the parlay, at 19 and a half receiving yards. He ended up with 19. You know how frustrating that would have been if I would have lost by one yard? I, I had a friend who had uh, Stephon Diggs over 100 yards, Stephon Diggs touchdown, and Josh Allen 300 passing yards. Mm. Guess how many passing yards Josh Allen ended up with? It was I, I have a friend who had the exact same thing. It was like 296, right? 297, yeah. 297. He threw the 50-yard touchdown to Diggs, mm-hmm. and then that was it. Yeah, else. and it ended up being like 12-1 well, to one odds then or something The Bills like that. fumbled. The Bills had the mm. ball, like about to score, and they fumbled <laughs> and gave it right back to the Rams. And then the Rams took the last three minutes off the clock and game over. Betting's tough. That's why you need your free money. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets instantly. 
when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KLWN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com slash Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. Kansas takes on West Virginia coming up tomorrow, as I mentioned, at 5 o'clock hear it here on KLWN, especially if you don't have ESPN+. Plus. It's the battle of JT Daniels versus Jalen Daniels. Who do you uh, give an edge to? Is this about even? Uh, yeah, it's about even. I, so the interesting thing about JT Daniels is he's a statue. He does not <laughs> run. He, doesn't, he can't scramble at all. So that potentially bodes well for the KU pass rush if they can get home to him is that he will take hits. He will stand there and get hit. He doesn't run. He's not a running quarterback. He's not a threat as a runner. Whereas Jalen Daniels can offer that, right? Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint, the edge to Jalen Daniels. If if West Virginia's pass rush is as good as it was against Pittsburgh last week, Jalen Daniels, I think, is definitely a much better runner than Keaton Slovis. So that should benefit KU, I think, a little bit with Jalen Daniels' ability to scramble and whatnot. Uh, but listen, JT Daniels, there's a reason he was a top prospect. There's a reason he was at Georgia. He's obviously has the arm talent. He has a talented quarterback. But again, for West Virginia, outside of Bryce Ford Wheaton, I don't think they have a lot of weapons to that really scare you. Now, I guess for, if you're looking at it from the outside inwards, you think, well, KU's best receiver is Lawrence Arnold, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, they're probably going, oh, I'm not scared of their receiver. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're probably thinking the same thing. They're not scared uh, of KU's receivers. But. Again, I talked about this earlier in the week. Pittsburgh, where Pittsburgh was able to have some success was there was a number of plays where they ran play action and got guys wide open downfield. I mean, wide open Mm -hmm. for deep plays. And that's an area that I expect or I hope that KU recognized on film and and realized that that's probably something they can capitalize on as well, especially with their talented running backs is, is the secondary for West Virginia was out of position or playing over aggressively or what have you on a number of occasions against Pittsburgh, which led to opportunities for big plays. Now, the problem was Pittsburgh actually didn't capitalize on them very often. I think they only hit on one of them. They had one that was a guaranteed touchdown that went right through the guy's hands. They had another one that Keaton Slovis overthrew his man, I think. But it wasn't that it wasn't like they weren't getting opportunities. So I think from that standpoint, that's another area that KU should be able to potentially make some big plays to take the top off the defenses through the play-action game against against West Virginia secondary. And for KU secondary, I, I I hesitate to say this, but I do. it really seems like it to me is that it really comes down to as simply as locking down Bryce Ford Wheaton, and then after that, you don't really have to do a whole lot. I mean, that was their, he was their best receiver. West Virginia's receivers, they drop a lot of passes, whatever. So I think as long as you don't blow coverages and make mistakes and you keep Bryce Ford Wheaton in check, for KU secondary, this should be not too stressful of a game, I think. I... I'm curious to see what the secondary... They weren't really challenged in week one, so let's see what they can do. They weren't. Against a team that does want to air it out and does have big receivers that they can, you know, at least win those jump balls. So I'm curious about that. We heard Brian Borland earlier this week talking about, you know, giving help to those guys maybe differently than what Pittsburgh did. Um, I think that, yes, maybe JT Daniels has the pedigree. Maybe he... I don't know, has this or that like slight edge in in passing the ball. Jalen Daniels, though, with the edge that he has as just a pure playmaker, as somebody who can run around and make different platform throws and, and the arm angles and stuff like I think this is kind of a a uh 
I don't know, pretty even quarterback battle, which I think is a positive for KU. And by the way, I'm looking on DraftKings right now. I am just going to empty the clip on this. Okay. Take a guess what Jalen Daniels over-under for passing yards is. Oh, I'm guessing it's like 140. You think it's that low? Yes. Well, now you made me feel bad. It's 197 and a half. Okay. I think that's way low. No, I agree. Way low. No, I agree. You just, I just oversold it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I just, the way you were building up to it, I was like, wow, this is going to be like ridiculously low. Well, he had 189 in the first week, which would make you think, oh, but okay, he didn't play in the fourth quarter and they were just running all over them. In this game, he's going to have to throw the football. Like he, yes, ideally Kansas wants to be a run first team, but he's going to have to throw football if they, they want to beat West Virginia. He had 249 against West Virginia last year. In the three games he started last year, he had 202, 255, 249. Pound the over on 197 and a half. That's all I'm saying there. Um, but as far as the West Virginia secondary, yeah, they gave up 13 yards per pass to Pittsburgh. So, like, there is an opportunity there for KU to really exploit in the secondary. And um, I think the West Virginia secondary, like, there's some talented players, but there's not as much experience there. They lost a lot of guys, whether it was graduation, transfer portal, or whatnot, that you're working in a bunch of guys. And I think that is one advantage of playing them early in the season before maybe they fully kind of get together there. Now, I, I think the the biggest matchup of this game has got to be KU's offensive line versus the West Virginia defensive line. You're talking about a KU offensive line that looked great in that first week uh, against Tennessee Tech, opening up huge holes, uh, no sacks to record on the quarterbacks there. They were doing great. But West Virginia's defensive line also did great against Pittsburgh. They had five sacks in the game. They also, and this isn't just the D-line, this is the front seven as well. If you look at Pro Football Focus, they ranked second in the entire country in run defense grade, and that's accounting for everyone in the country, even the likes of schools that played FCS opponents. They played a top 25 opponent, and they still wound up second in run defense grade on Pro Football Focus. Now, they were just 51st in tackle grade, 108th in coverage grade, which goes back to there, so it wasn't perfect defensively for them. But just in terms of that D-line, Dante Stills is a stud. He's maybe a a potential All-American. That's the matchup of the game. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that the West Virginia D-line is probably the biggest strength of their entire team, right? Not just their defense, probably of any position group, of any unit they have. And... That was on display against Pittsburgh. So there's no question that the KU offensive line is going to be in a position where they're going to have to step up. They're going to have to to play to a higher level probably, especially considering who they played in Week 1, Tennessee Tech, right? But that being said, Pittsburgh was really, really struggled in the run. They did not get very much penetration. They struggled in the pass as well. But there are a couple things that we already just discussed. Jalen Daniels, much better with his legs than Keaton Slovis. Mm-hmm. So that already is going to help, I think, in terms of the pass rush. And two, which I talked about a lot, is even with all of those stats that you just listed off about the run defense and everything, the pass, the play-action pass was very successful for Pittsburgh. So that's another thing that I continue to harp on that I think KU should be able to utilize if their run game, even if their run game is struggling. Because think about it. And I know there's been, I think ESPN has done some different pieces on this before that have basically said that, you don't actually have to run the ball successfully to utilize play action pass successfully, right? Like, like the idea is, oh well, you gotta you run the ball to set up play action pass. Well, I, there's been various stats again. I think ESPN's done a piece on it where they basically explained actually you don't have to run the ball very well for play action pass to still be successful. Like you don't have to be, and 
Pittsburgh wasn't exactly. Pittsburgh was averaging less than four yards a carry, 76 total yards rushing, and they still were able to use play action pass successfully against West Virginia. So those are the two things I think for me that stand out the most is even if West Virginia's D-line looks as dominant against KU as it did against Pittsburgh, the fact that JT Daniels is a, more of a dynamic playmaker and more of a guy that can scramble and create on his own than a, than a Keaton Slovis for Pittsburgh, that with combina- in combination with KU's running backs are better than Pittsburgh's running backs, I think probably – their KU's third best running back is better than West than Pittsburgh's top running backs, and then the play action. Those three things to me make me feel a little better about the possibility of West Virginia's D line just completely controlling and dominating this game, which I think has to be a legitimate a legitimate concern because that's basically what they did against Pittsburgh. Obviously, they still lost the game. It was a crazy game though, but but yeah, that's that's something to keep an eye on it's definitely a red flag that you want to watch is that battle at the line of scrimmage especially when KU has the ball and I think we probably agree that that is the biggest deciding factor of this game potentially is going to be that matchup yeah I I would agree with that now if you had to pick a second one what would it be because to me I think that one jumps off the page as well yeah I think it jumps off the page the second one mm, probably Maybe KU secondary? I mean, that one would certainly jump out. I think it's the other side of the trenches. I think it's the West Virginia offensive line versus the KU defensive line. Because, again, KU's defensive line was great in week one. West Virginia's offensive line was not. Um, Through week one, and again, take these with a grain of salt, like pro football focus isn't everything, but it's the only metric I can give you on on offensive line play. Um, They were 111th in the country in pass blocking grade. They were 117th in the country in run blocking grade. So the offensive line really struggled in week one. Either that's indicative of Pittsburgh's defensive line is really good, which, again, I've said this many times, it was expected to be. So that's certainly a possibility. Or that West Virginia's line is just bad. Or that it's a mix of uh, of a little bit of both. And this is a unit that returned all five starters into this year. They were one of just three teams last season that finished in the top half of the Big 12 in both run block and pass block grade. The other two were Oklahoma and Baylor. So on one hand, you have a unit that was clearly good last year and brings everyone back, has experience. On the other hand, you have, you sucked in week one. So what do you do with that headed into week two against KU defensive line that led by Lonnie Phelps did look really good in week one? Yeah, and I'm also curious about the running back situation for West Virginia. They they ran out. Thompson, I can't remember his first name. Thompson was the running back. He's listed as a tight end. Yeah. CJ Thompson, six foot two, two hundred and forty pounds, and they let him be running back for basically for fun and against Pittsburgh, as far as I can tell. So their running back situation, I think, is going to be curious because I think that covered up maybe some of the struggles of the West Virginia offensive line. Was Thompson was just a bowling ball. He was just running over guys, right? Mm-hmm. And KU's running backs can do the same thing. On the other side. But for KU, we've talked about it. Lonnie Phelps, we knew he was going to come in or we expected he was going to come in and be an impact player. He showed it in week one. Now we're taking it up a notch. Can he do it again in week two against against Big 12 competition? And, and he's he, we're, KU's going to need him. I mean, we've talked about it before. I think we both agree that for KU's defense to reach, the, reach their maximum potential as a defense, Lonnie Phelps probably has to be the best player or the second best player. Yeah. So that needs to continue against West Virginia. And we'll see what West Virginia does. I mean, 
we talked about it earlier in the week with Graham Harrell being their new offensive coordinator and the idea of, oh, now they're just going to be running gun team. This is a team that's still very committed to being a balanced offense. Mm-hmm. So that's something KU has to keep in mind is I think West Virginia is going to be committed to the run maybe more than you would expect them to be in this game. So what are you doing with the spread? Is KU plus 13 and a half right now on DraftKings. I think I'm taking KU here. I, I don't think I don't want to sit here and say I think KU is going to win the game. Mm-hmm. Although when we did our season selection picks, I don't remember if I picked them to win. Or lose. Uh, you did. No, I picked them to win. actually, no, no I picked you them picked them to lose. You did. You bet. Which which is I weird. Them to lose if you picked them to go to a bowl game. I feel like this would be one you'd got to win. No, because I picked them to win three straight against Duke, Iowa State, and TCU. Is what I did. Yeah. So from that standpoint, for me personally, this game is it's. If they win, even better. Mm-hmm. That much closer to my to my correct prediction. Yeah, but I I don't know. I don't want to. I don't know if I want to go as far as to say that they're going to win or I think they're going to win. But this this should be a competitive game, and for KU season long purposes, it really has to be a competitive game. I mean, what's what's the classic KU football? Here's an interesting stat for you, Derek. Actually, I was just looking this up last night. When's the last time KU started two and zero? Oh gosh. Um... That's a great question because, okay, so 2019, they won three games, but they started one and one because they lost to Coastal. 2018, they lost to Nichols State, so that nailed it right off the bat. Um, Gosh, 2016, I'm trying to remember. I think they won t- three games in 2016, but I don't know if they started 2 no. Was it like 2014 with Charlie Weiss? It was 2011. Wow. They have not started 2 and 0 since 2011. They had a couple years where they lost to Rice. They had a couple of years where they lost to Coastal. Then you throw in the North Dakota State loss in 2012, the Nichols loss. And the, remember, because remember, the Nichols loss, they right. lost against Nichols, and then they they won against Central Michigan and Rutgers. Yeah, blew them both out, too. You had no Puka Williams in the Nichols State game. But, yes, the 2011-2012 the season, they beat McNeese State, and then they barely beat Northern Illinois 45-42. Start two and zero. They finished that season two and ten, by the way. <laughs> so, so KU does not want to start two and zero. If that's <laughs> any indication of that, um, no. But how about this? What would you be more comfortable in K- taking KU plus thirteen and a half for the game, or taking KU plus seven for the first half? Because I could see that happening, right? It's a close game at halftime, and then West Virginia pulls away. I'm taking thirteen and a half for the game. You like that better? Yeah. You can also get KU um, money line at plus four ten, or how about this one? So, so what do you like better for these? KU okay. straight up to win at plus 410 or KU to just be leading at halftime at plus 300? This feels like when you go to the eye doctor. Do you ever go to the eye doctor and they're like, which one's better? One or two? I could two not tell you the last three. time I've been to the eye doctor. Oh, but, okay. Well, this is what it feels yeah, like. Yeah. You have glasses. Uh, so I, <laughs> I do have glasses. You do. Um, I don't say I'm that gonna, to like make fun or anything. No, I just no, like you okay. have to go to the eye doctor. No, know? it's it's okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to pick KU to be leading at half over KU winning. I think that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I think I might take KU with the spread. Uh, would you touch the over under? 59 and a half. Listen, I'm an exclusively over better. <laughs> for those that don't know, I love points. That did not work out well last night. It has night. not worked out well for me <laughs> in many games. But I don't know that I would bet the over in this. 59 and a half is a big number. I mean, KU's offense is undoubtedly maybe the Maybe this is the best, most talented KU offense they've had in 10-plus years. Mm-hmm. 
But I don't know. I mean, at 59 and a half, you're you're basically banking on them to score at least 20, I would think. Right? For KU? Yeah, for just for KU. Like, like to yeah. get to 59 and a half, you're, you're, you're thinking... I think like you need KU at least tw- 24. Like, yeah, like West Virginia could win like 41 to 20. Or like 42, you know, whatever, 24, whatever, something like that. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I... I don't want to. I, I think they will get there, but I don't know that I would bet on it. Yeah, I I think I'd avoid the over under. Slight lean to KU plus thirteen and a half. Yep. Pound the over on Jalen Daniels one night. Although I've texted a few people and been like, "What do you think the over?" And every single one, including yourself, has put up a number lower than what the over under was on their first guess. Yeah, so yeah, clearly. I don't know if that's just people guessing based on their they're thinking the market is not going to be high on KU or if that's just me overselling. But he's had over 197 yards in his other three starts outside of last week, which he had like 180-something, which he would have had over if he kept playing. But they were up by so much, and they were running the ball so much. So I feel good about it. Just to circle back Mm -hmm. on the eye doctor thing. I tried getting contacts Uh when I was in high school, and I just – touching my eye with my finger, it just didn't work for me. Oh, I get it. And honestly, I've had glasses for so long that it's like – Glasses have just become a part of my brand. Like it's oh part no, of who I, I have am. no problem with glasses. You know I mean? My like wife if wears I stopped, glasses. If I stopped wearing glasses yeah. now, I, it would be like I'd be like starting my life over. It's like if Scott Van Pelt grew hair. It's like <laughs> what's going on there? Exactly. It just wouldn't work. <laughs> He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got some KU audio. Then Brandon McAnderson will join us. Join us. This is RCST. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. You'll be able to hear the. KU football game on Saturday. Pre-game starts at 3.30 with the Crimson and Blue Show kickoff at 5 o'clock, and you'll be able to hear Brandon McAnderson over the course of that broadcast with the Crimson and Blue Show and sideline reporter for the game, former Orange Bowl running back Brandon McAnderson joins us now on the show, and uh, Devin Neal had four carries for 108 yards in the opener. Did, did you ever have a game at any point throughout your football career, whether it was in high school, growing up, in college, where you had like such a limited amount of carries and just like everything worked for, for like touchdowns seemingly. And, and then it was just like, ah, I only need five carries today. Like we got the win. We're fine. Yeah. I actually had a few of those games. I had a, a couple my senior year against the peak high where I was, it was such a blowout. I didn't play much, but I was over a hundred on less than 10 carries. That's always a nice breezy, uh, light work kind of day. And that's exactly what it was for Devin Neal. Did it feel like the running back group was everything is advertised and more from what you saw on Friday? Yeah, I would say everything is advertised and more to come. You know, I felt like there was a sense of, you know, they they had they were greedy. Their eyes were greedy. They were kind of speeding through stuff. I think that Kai Thomas is going to show much better um, as the season progresses than he did in that game. I think he just had the big eyes and wanted to break one just like everyone else. And uh, so I think he'll add more to the room than he did in that game, and it'll be a, a group that can, you can really lean on. Daniel Highshaw cracks me up watching him, like in a, in a good way, because every time that dude touches the ball, he just wants to run someone over. Like he had the touchdown. He's like five, six yards deep in the end zone, and he's just seeking contact, like knocking into a guy. Or he he, he just wants to truck people. Like that's that's got to be pretty fun to play with if you're an offensive lineman. Yeah, fun for offensive linemen, not so fun for defensive backs. I started to think, you know, these DBs, they have families at the game, and uh, Daniel Highshaw didn't seem to really care. He was (laughs) punishing people. And there's a sense, I know from my perspective, where there's 
kind of like relief because I've been knowing about this guy for a year and just how explosive and dangerous he can be. And now everybody gets a chance to take a look at it. He's going to have a bright, bright future here for the Jayhawks. Well, with Devin Neal getting only four carries, and, and he was, you know, Savion Morrison leads him in carries. He has less carries than Kai Thomas and Daniel Hyshaw as well. Is that just kind of a product of that first game? Like, is that something where going forward you expect Devin Neal to have the uh, biggest workload? I do. And it's just one of those things where it's by saying Devin Neal is the brightest of the bunch, the highest upside of the bunch, is not an insult. He's just a very good player. And He's going to be the primary back, and I think that the, the hierarchy is going to fall from there. You saw, like, what Daniel Hyshaw brings, just a unique combination of skill, agility, and power. I'm interested to see as the games get, as the games progress and the opponents get more difficult, what specifically, you know, Savion Morrison and Ty Thomas are going to bring to the table. I expect them to bring something special. I'm just interested to see what it is. Well, West Virginia has some good running backs of their own. What jumps out to you about the Mountaineers' offense and, and their running game heading into this one? Good, experienced O-line, quick, elusive back, a good complement to their uh, spread, throw-it game with their big, tall, wide receivers. I think they just play the skill sets of their primary players complement each other well, and they're going to be a difficult team to deal with, not just because of those skill players, but the offensive line play as well. When, whenever you're dealing with a, an experienced offensive line, um, it's kind of interesting to me because they, they were a really good unit a season ago and they bring all those guys back, and then they struggled a little bit in week one against Pittsburgh, which I, I don't know, maybe that's just more about Pittsburgh and what their defensive line is, but is that something where coming into this week, you know, you, you kind of expect a big bounce back from that unit? It's hard to say. You know, that's... Uh... I always find it hard to evaluate rivalry games and how they'll project during the season, especially one that hasn't been played for 10 years. And you could say, well, you know, these kids hadn't experienced it, so they didn't really know what it was about. But the fan base was electric for that game and all the lead-up to it in the offseason. So that was a huge game. So I don't know how you would gauge, you know, how someone plays in a rivalry game just because there's so much at stake and there's still those early season jitters, still those, early season rust but your adrenaline is through the roof because you're playing in you know in a an event of a football game so i don't know if they'll bounce back or not it'll be interesting to see what they become i think kansas's d-line is the strength of the team and if they struggle again i think kansas can pull it out well yeah ku is pretty dominant in the trenches on friday night um offensive line obviously opened up some huge holes i thought the tight ends did great jared casey was in on a bunch of big blocks and then what you mentioned with the defensive line we saw Lonnie Phelps and, and all those guys create all sorts of chaos on the other end. How different did that on its own feel to you than in years past in maybe the opener? And, and how much of what we saw with the line of scrimmage domination do you think can carry over from playing Tennessee Tech to carrying on to a Power 5 opponent and just Power 5 opponents in general the rest of the way for KU? I think it's going to translate well. You know, I Regardless of the opponent, you could watch in camp, you know, Bostic is a good left tackle. He's a good player. Cable do a good player. These guys were giving them trouble all offseason, you know, in spring through the fall, and then that first game at Tennessee Tech was no exception. I think they'll still be strong because you look at it, 
Caleb Sampson is a special player, a guy that had the athleticism to play outside and is now is bulked up super strong and is able to play inside. The same could be said for Caleb Taylor, DJ Withers. I think it's just an, a, a group that's just strong. I mean, it's not that different from the running back group, except, you know, there's more positions to play and there's more of a uh, natural rotation. But these are all quality players. They're guys that are going to wreak havoc. Guys, you can sub in for pass rush specialty like DJ Withers, a young guy. There's just a good mix of talent, youth, and veteran leadership, and I love that group. I love them coming into the season. They didn't disappoint game one. So who was the, the unsung hero for you in game one? Obviously, you know, the running backs or, or Jalen Daniels or Lonnie Phelps are, are going to be the guys that stick out the most in terms of what they did on the stat sheet or, or highlight plays or whatnot. Who, who was the unsung hero for you in, in that first week? Well, it's consistent with the last four games of the season. I thought carried over into the first game of the season. His name is Rich Miller. Rich Miller is a special player, and I know that, you know, there's so much excitement going on with the new players, you know, excitement with uh, Barry Hill improving so much and becoming a nice player and a starter. But I'm telling you, man, the first three, four plays of the game where they didn't have any total yards. It was Rich Miller, you know, erasing opportunities that look promising and shutting him down in, in the second. You know, their speed is is devastating on the defensive end, and it starts with Rich Miller, starts with Craig Young, but it's Rich. You know, he can get people lined up. He can play, he can play outside. He can play any of the linebacker spots. He's a special player. What was it like uh, being on the sideline to watch Craig Young? Because that's got to be pretty uh, fun to watch a dude that big moving that fast. Yeah, so I will say this. Craig Young has reached my uh, the same viewership level of Giannis and Steph Curry that no matter how ridiculous it is, I'm not going to pretend like it's normal. And, you know, it's not normal to have a player of his size and his capability to be so physical at the point of attack and still be able to, to cover, redirect, you know, handle slot people. You know, he's just a special player. And, I mean, we get to watch him for at least 11 more games, and I'm excited about that. Uh, once again, Kansas taking on West Virginia tomorrow. You can hear it on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS, with BMAC, part of the Jayhawk Radio Network. So overall, as you've gotten prepared for the game, what sticks out to you about some possible ways that Kansas has an opportunity to and needs to take advantage of against the Mountaineers if they want to be successful? Well, I think what's happened since the last quarter of the season where they really turned it around on offense and what you saw in the first game of the season, I think we've reached a point where I feel like every game is more about what Kansas does than about what the opponent does. So I, I think that if they execute to a level that they're capable of, they can compete and win any game that they're in. And the last four games of the season proved that. The first game reaffirmed that. And this will be the ultimate confirmation that this offensive team has arrived. I don't see it as, you know, West Virginia presents this weakness or that weakness. I feel like this is a team that has strong players at every level of the team, be it running back. You mentioned tight end. Casey was amazing. Fairchild was good in the passing game. Trevor Cardell, they just, they're loaded. They got a lot of depth at those positions. They got a lot of talent. And because they played so many young people, they have a lot of experience, even though some of the ages are still pretty young. You know, you're starting quarterback and running back both 19. But experienced players, you know, Devin's the youngest in the group, but most experienced at the University of Kansas. So, you have all this good mix of talent and execution, and I think if they play their game, if they've established an identity well enough, that they can win against any opponent. 
Is there a, an individual matchup of players that you're most excited to uh, see on the field? I'm most excited for the matchup between their wide receivers and our DBs. Um, you know, we, we brought in some veteran help and Monty McGarry and Derek Paul and Kalen Gervin. But, you know, first first game opens and it's the, it's the usual suspects, Melo Dodson and Kobe Bryant starting out a corner. Melo Bryant had a strong start the last season and then kind of faded towards the end. He looks confident and better than ever. Kobe Bryant is full of confidence. I love the way he played against Texas last year. He was so confident. He, he has the length to challenge tall receivers. And you could see Graham Harrell early in that pick game was wanting to take advantage of the size of Wheaton. So I would say it would be those tall receivers versus our corners, the young corners, as well as McGarry and Kalen Gervin, who both played well in the opening game. That's the match I'm most excited about. Well, at practice really all week, KU has just been blaring music, and, and they said they're going to do this for every road opponent, that they have kind of a mixtape tailored to that. And one of the songs that uh, kept get blare, that, that kept being blared, I guess, by the, the staff was Country Roads uh, for, you know, West Virginia and stuff, that they're just playing that over and over on loop or whatever during practice. And I'd imagine as a player – that gets kind of annoying listening to that over and over or something like that. But I, I would imagine that's part of the idea for the coaches, right, to get uh, an extra edge from the players. Was there anything that, that you remember Mangino or the staff doing when um, I guess you were there for, for extra motivation or to kind of piss you guys off headed into games? God, yeah. <laughs> so there, there were many songs. But first I'll say, when you land in West Virginia, you hear Country Road about 47 times. So that's as much as conditioning as anything else. You hear the song all the time. So I don't mind that one. Uh, Mangino was big. When we played K-State, he would always play We're Not Gonna Take It. Uh, and he'd play it. we played it on loop in practice over and over again. Uh, that was one of them. There was a song called I Wasn't, I'm Not As Good As I Once Was. I don't know who sang it. But I know all the words to it because Mangino would play it every practice for uh, when we needed crowd noise. So that was part of the experience. And boy, does it get annoying quickly. Uh, but it's also just it's kind of practice uh, for tuning out the noise because that's essentially what you have to do uh, if you want to play winning football on the road. You got to ignore the noise and get to work. And um, that, that's a good example of, of a way that you can simulate that in practice to get used to that you know, blaring noise in the back and still focusing on your responsibility. What's your thought on the QB battle? Obviously, it's the battle of the Jay Daniels. So what sticks out to you between what Jalen can do after seeing him in week one, after seeing him against West Virginia last year, and uh, what you saw from JT Daniels in week one for West Virginia? Well, Jalen Daniels was nearly perfect. I mean, he was spectacular. He was in full control. You know, he had the one bad throw, but he's not the kind of personality you worry about carryover with that just because he's such a, a bright, gifted leader as well as football player. So I'm very excited to see him play. And he was as advertised. This guy's only going to get better. Uh, he only played in four games, three games last year. So, and like I said, he's still not even 20 yet. So he's going to keep developing, and I'm excited about that opportunity for him. And J.T. Daniels was – you know, he was a five-star player, and you almost associate five-star player with talent immediately. But what I noticed is he just seems like he's in control, just a veteran uh, distributor of the ball, didn't take a lot of chances. You know, the interception at the end was off the receiver's hand. He's just become a solid, reliable player that's played in a lot of systems. 
you know, he's essentially like the Joe Flacco of college, you know, playing this is being his third school and third system. Um, but he's consistent, and he'll get the ball where he needs to get. We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. It's obviously NFL weekend as well, kicking things off here. Uh, thoughts on how the AFC West kind of plays out with how loaded everything is and the Raiders and Chiefs both in the division? You know, I'm excited. I think that, uh, like most people, that's one of the more talented conferences that will be around. It's, you know, they're going to be good at every spot. You know, I'm not super confident about the Broncos. I think they have some, some real question marks that they need to sort out. I would say the same for the Raiders. The right side of the offensive line has a long way to go. But they're teams that just don't have a lot of weaknesses. The Chargers and Chiefs don't appear to have any at the start of the season. So they're the, they're the two favorites. I think it'll end up being the Chiefs. And I think somehow the Raiders will get it done just because I'm a homer. And uh, I'll be banking on this. I, I make no uh, excuses for myself. I expect the Raiders to be in the playoffs. I expect them to have a better record than the Chargers. So who finishes higher? Your Oakland Raiders in the AFC West or your Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference? Wow. That's a tough one. <laughs> Considering the East is, is getting more ridiculous by the moment, Giannis is averaging 1.11 points per possession in the Euro basket, which is an absurd number, and he is completely unstoppable. So I'm going to say the Raiders just because the East is just becoming a slaughterhouse and the Heat haven't improved the team as much as maintained the team. So I'll go with the uh, the Raiders. Well, B-Mac, I appreciate the time, man. Have fun on the call and uh, have a good time in uh, Morgantown. We appreciate you. Rock talk. All right, that's Brandon McAnderson, former Jayhawk running back and member of the Jayhawk Radio Network and uh, winner of the Orange Bowl in 2008. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, one hour down, two to go. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Coming up, we'll have some more KU player audio to share for you. We've got our game picks later this hour as well. But it's also uh, game week for the Chiefs. First game of the season going into Arizona. That'll be the, the uh, I guess, I don't know, um, mantra. For, for the team, at least for this week, and certainly once we get toward the end of the year of trying to start and finish in the same place. Super Bowl's being played in Phoenix, and that's where they start the season, taking on the Arizona Cardinals. And really the first thing that sticks out here to me is that you have two teams that, you know, it's, it's similar in terms of, okay, both teams have good offenses, good quarterbacks, both teams have some question marks that maybe some of the skill positions for Arizona, maybe for different reasons than the Chiefs do. Uh, defenses that, you know, you don't know how quite good they're going to be, and Arizona's was better than the Chiefs was last year. Um, and then you have two teams who, you know, have, have started the season super well. In the case of the Chiefs, they've started and ended seasons very well of late. But with the Cardinals, they've started the season really well and then have kind of faded. So you have two teams who have really done well in the month of September specifically, although last year the Chiefs were just 2-2, two and two, which were the first two losses of the uh, Mahomes era, and and that's where I kind of want to start with this. Like, You look at Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid. Before last year, they were undefeated in the month of September. Even if you count last year, Mahomes is 11-2 and two in September, which is great on its own, but the stats are just unbelievable. So in 13 games in the month of September, Patrick Holmes is completing 68% of his passes, over 4,200 yards, which, I mean, if you're looking at a like uh, 
prorated version of over a 16 or 17 game season, you're looking at in 16 games like over 5,000 yards. You're looking at in 17 games like 5,500 yards. Unbelievable numbers of what he's done in September. And get this. This is my favorite. So if I if I count in the rushing touchdowns, he has two rushing touchdowns in the months of September. In his 13 games in the month of September, he has 43 touchdowns to three interceptions. Let me repeat that again. 43 touchdowns to three interceptions in the month of September to Patrick Mahomes. That's stupid. I mean, we, we know how great he is, and it's certainly been on display. I mean, you think about it, 4,200 yards in 13 games. Mm-hmm. That's basically almost like 320 yards a game, I think, about for for Mahomes in those games. And, and, and yeah, last year was a bit of an aberration. For the Chiefs, considering they started slowly, they were they were two and five, two and two, as you said after after September. So this season, I've talked about it before. I think it's imperative that the Chiefs get off to a much better start this year, early in the year, which I think is something they're certainly capable of doing. And I think I was concerned about it over the summer, but the preseason play has alleviated some of that for me. Um, they looked outstanding in preseason, both on offense and defense. Now, obviously, that'll have they'll have to show that in the real thing. But, yeah, they look great. And, obviously, I trust Andy Reid with the offense and Mahomes as well. So, I, I'm, I think the Tyreek Hill discourse, I'm hoping that the Chiefs offense looks pretty good early. If nothing else, just so that the national Tyreek Hill discourse can, like, kind of go away, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think if the Chiefs offense does struggle, then it's just going to be piled on even more. Oh, well, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill carry the Chiefs, blah, blah, blah whatever. So, honestly, I... <laughs> Selfishly, I just hope that they don't struggle early in the year so that we don't have to talk about the fact that it was because of Tyreek Hill that, that they were so successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, that would that would certainly be nice. And, and that's the one thing that um, I guess gives me a little hesitancy with the offense in this one, the fact that you do have all those new receivers into the, the building and, and what's that going to look like, even though you did look that sharp in preseason play. Uh, as far as the defense goes, like Arizona loses Chandler Jones, who was their best, best pass rusher from a season ago. Um, they actually they did really well in defending tight ends last season, which is not ideal when the Chiefs don't have all those receivers back and your number one target's obviously going to be Travis Kelsey. But overall, I don't view this Cardinals defense as one that like, oh, they're going to create all sorts of issues for the Chiefs. Like, if you had to pick a target score for what the Chiefs end up with, just on their side of the ball. Like, what what are you expecting them to score? 35. Yeah. I, I feel At like least. like 31 would be my kind of like, yeah. I guess like you could convince me that, oh, like they just have but, weird turnover luck and maybe it's 27 listen, or 28. I'm going to be honest. You could put any defense against the Chiefs and I would probably guess they're going to score 31 points. I mean, that's just how confident I am. Yeah. And, and, and maybe that's overconfidence on my part, considering there is no more Tyree kill for the Chiefs, and maybe their offense might need some time to adjust. But my my confidence in Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes is, has never been stronger, and I don't see any reason why losing Tyree kill is going to limit them overall as an offense. If anything, it's probably going to make it more exciting for the, to watch the Chiefs because they're probably going to be more creative. They're probably going to involve more formations and different players. And I think there is still this question of what kind of role is Mikael Hardman going to play? Mm-hmm. He's he's a guy that right after the Tyreek Hill trade, I think people were like, okay, well, maybe Mikael Hardman's going to have a bigger role in the offense. But I think now as we've gotten through preseason and whatnot, it feels like the Mikael Hardman discussion has kind of faded into the background and people aren't talking about him as much. And who knows? Maybe maybe he maybe he ends up just keeping the same role he had. It's just kind of this gadget, ancillary guy. Or maybe he does become a guy that, that gets in more often. I, I guess... 
from the Chiefs' standpoint, probably the acquisition of M- of Marquez Valdez Scantling probably, I think, took eyes away from Michael Hardman as the deep threat and thought, okay, well now MVS is going to be the deep threat. But you know, that's just one example. That's just one example of of a guy who his role might be expanded or whatnot or whatever. And and again, I think if anything, like I said, it's going to be more exciting to watch the Chiefs' offense because they're going to be probably more creative. I mean, that's what Andy Reid is known for. Obviously, we know what Patrick Mahomes can do. In terms of if a player breaks down or whatever, scrambling, he can do incredible things. So, yeah, I, I'm actually I'm actually more excited because I'm curious to see how everything goes together early in the year. Yeah, it's it's weird because like to that excitement level, it's not that I necessarily think this team is going to have a better season or be better than maybe one of the last couple of years, but there's almost there's almost like more excitement for me this year than last year. Maybe not like two years ago. Two years ago, you're coming off the Super Bowl win, and and that's fun in its own right. Um, but last year, especially early in that season, it almost felt like like you kind of did get the sense that like maybe things were getting a little bit more stale with some of the players and the, and the things that maybe were, were setting up to be, okay, what's the next group around Patrick Mahomes going to be? And it feels like while, yes, there are still plenty of, of the same faces that you want to see, like Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones and stuff, this is kind of the transition into the next, like like the second era of Patrick Holmes. You know, like like you think yeah. of like Tom Brady, for instance. Right? The beginning of Tom Brady was Tom Brady in the defense. Then you think of Tom Brady and Randy Moss and Wes Welker. Then you think of, I don't know, Tom Brady and, and Julian Edelman. Then you think of Tom Brady and the Bucks. That's kind of what it'll be, ideally, for the Chiefs. It's like the first era was Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. The second era is going to be, you know, whoever those guys are going to step up. Marquez Valdez, Scanlon, Juju Smith-Schuster, whatever it is, Sky Moore. Uh, then the third era will be someone else, right? To where you have these different things, and there is some level of excitement. And there is some level of excitement that, like you said, the creativity of the offense, that maybe you even have more creativity now with all these different pieces. So even if the the, the talent is less maybe the the ability of Andy Reid goes up that allows you to actually be better somehow and offensively. Or maybe Patrick Mahomes is going to be even better this year. Like He yeah. he is basically just about to enter his prime, if we think <laughs> about it that way, which is crazy to think. Um, defensively, like, yes, Tyron Matthew was, you know, your, your most valuable or, or best player in the back end. But they keep talking about this scheme and stuff that it's going to be better to have two safeties that they don't have to show like, hey, this guy's this safety, this guy's the other safety. Now they can kind of mix and match those things that maybe just from a scheme perspective, they could be better from that end. And I think that's what's most exciting for the game on Sunday. I also think going back to what you're mentioning about last season, I also think early in the year last year, there was a, a overwhelming sense of overconfidence from the Chiefs organization. This idea that we're the Chiefs, we can flip the switch at any moment. Mm-hmm. And that kind of is what got them into the 2-5 and five situation. And then they were able to kind of figure things out and eventually went on to have a successful season. But I, I feel like that sense of, oh, we're the Chiefs, we can just flip the switch. I think after what happened with last season and the losing Tyreek Hill and whatnot, the sense that I get is that that mindset is gone now. Now they're back to the chip on their shoulder, we got to go out and prove it again. Which is which is really a great thing, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't you don't want to go into a season. Yeah, it didn't feel just, like you had it last yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to go into a season just thinking, oh well, we can just we can just you know mess around and then flip the switch and do whatever we want, right? That's not the case this year. And I also think that the Chiefs have lost that sense. They don't have it anymore coming into the season, which is which is really exciting to see. And yeah, the defense is going to look a little bit different. And there's definitely some exciting pieces in the defense. Again, I, I've I talked a lot about it. I mean, Trent McDuffie. All, all indications to me are that the Chiefs seem to believe that Trent McDuffie is going to become the number one cornerback probably by like halfway through the season. 
I mean, with the moves they've made, with getting rid of certain corners, with everything and this, that, and the other, they, they I, internally, it just it seems pretty glaring to me that they expect him to be the number one guy pretty quickly, right, as a rookie, mm-hmm. which is crazy. So that's a lot of pressure on a guy like that. But, you know, if he can come through, that that's excellent for the Chiefs to have a young corner who is blossoming into somebody who can really shut down one side of the field. Obviously, we know about George Karloftis and what he can bring to the table and Really, I think the defense comes down. To, I think the defense is going to come down to to a couple different players. Number one, Chris Jones. We've talked about Chris Jones. Chris Jones has to either recapture what he's what he had three four years ago when he was considered the second best defensive tackle in the league, or just find a way to reinvent himself as an impact player. He he needs to be that guy. I think for the Chiefs to be successful. Number two is kind of a combo. Willie Gay and Nick Bolton have to be dudes. They have to be really good. I think there's a lot of pressure on them to be to perform at a very high level, and I, I don't think they're very capable of it. Mm-hmm. But I think considering what the Chiefs have worked with with linebackers in the past, and now they have two really solid linebackers with really good speed, those guys have to come through and they have to be great players. And then the third who I already mentioned is Trent McDuffie. I think Trent McDuffie is going to be really the key to a successful season in the secondary for the defense. Justin Reed's going to be important too, but to me I think it all starts with Trent McDuffie. If he does turn into that number one guy – by like week six or seven, great. And he's able to, to do well there. That's fantastic for the Chiefs. And But I also think that the secondary, I don't think the secondary has to be phenomenal. I think they just need to do enough. Now, I know they play in a division and they're going to face a lot of really talented receivers, but I, I don't think they have to be spectacular. I think the spectacularness for the Chiefs needs to come actually from their front seven and their linebackers. So that, that goes back to Chris Jones and Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. I think that's where really the Chiefs need to have high level of productivity every week. Well, I think the point there is that, you know, if you have a good pass rush, it's going to help your back end. If you're yeah. if you're doing well with the linebackers on, you know, first and second down, that is a pass uh, must-pass situation, it's going to be easier for the DBs because you're going to have a a call that benefits you more for for that type of thing. So this this first week is going to be interesting for the defense because on one hand, you do have the fact that, like, Steve Spagnuolo's system is very complicated. It is a deep playbook. It takes guys a lot of time. And so when you have so many new faces on the team, whether it's rookies, whether it's guys coming over, like, I I mean, heck, we even saw it last year. Like, last year's defense was not good to begin with, but they got a lot better as the season went on, right? And they had that one stretch kind of in the middle, which was certainly helped by a stretch where you were kind of playing some bad quarterbacks in there. But they did get better as the season goes on. But at the beginning of the year, they really struggled. And... If you're going to really struggle in the opener with all these new players in this one, you're playing an offense that has the ability to light you up. It is a little beat up. So how could that impact things, right? Yeah, but Zach Ertz is is banged up. Rondale Moore also. Obviously, no DeAndre Hopkins being suspended. And I mean, they still have Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. and obviously he's a very electric player. And it's pre-Call of Duty, so he's <laughs> going to have the pre-Call of Duty buff. So he's going to be locked in. He's been for watching sure. film. He's actually been watching film. Actually watching yeah. film. You know, watching film can be code for something else. But he's actually, presumably, actually been watching film. So credit to Kyler Murray for that. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't think the Chiefs should by any means overlook this offense because of the fact that a couple of the big playmakers are not going to be playing. Like, they still need to show up, you know. So it, it is going to be an interesting matchup. And, like I said, I, I'm just excited for the Chiefs. I think this is an exciting time for the Chiefs, for the offense, for the defense, they've got some young guys that are that are going to be fun to watch. I hope, and yeah, I mean it's it's NFL football, man. How can mm-hmm. you not, how can you not be excited? Yeah, no, they'll have their hands full. Kyler Murray, James Conner, like even without some of those pieces, and 
I just look back to like last year. Like the Titans ended up getting the one seed in the in the uh, AFC last year. The Cardinals in Week One beat them thirty-eight to thirteen, and it was just a masterclass by that team overall. Now again, they don't have Chandler Jones, who had like four sacks in that game, but Kyler yeah, Murray. And I think JJ Watt is hurt too, actually. I feel like he's always hurt now. Um, yeah, that's true. Kyler Murray threw for 289 yards. He had four touchdowns. He had another rushing touchdown in that game. They had two running backs over 50 yards. Uh, they spread it around. But again, a lot of these guys won't be there, whether it's injury or just no longer on the team. Hopkins had eight catches. Christian Kirk had five. Rondell Moore had five. Uh, A.J. Green had six. Former Chief Demetrius Harris had uh, three targets in the game. Didn't reel any in. Chase Edmonds had four. So, like, it's, it's a good offense, but... It's also not one that I view and say, like, the Chiefs struggled a lot against uh, dual-threat quarterbacks, running quarterbacks a season ago, so that that has me worried against Kyler Murray, that they're going to struggle to bring him down, they'll struggle to get sacks, that he'll have some big scrambles in the game. Even though it is an offense with a lot of explosive pieces, because of some of those injuries, I still view this as, like, the Chiefs have an opportunity to have a good defensive game. Yes. Like, this isn't one that I just pencil in Arizona to 30 points. It could happen. It wouldn't surprise me if this game, like, I, I to be clear, do think this game is going to have a lot of points. I think it's going to be a game where I wouldn't be surprised if both teams are in the 30s or it's 30s to a high 20. But, I mean, whereas with the Chiefs, I'm like, the, okay, the floor should be 27 points in this. With the Cardinals, I'm like, yeah, there's a world out there where they could score 17. I mean, there's a scenario where the Chiefs' defense is as bad, if not worse, this year than last year. Which is I don't, I don't not like, good to think about. I don't like saying yeah. that, but there there is a scenario. There but see, scenario so let me let me ask you then, because I think this brings up a good question. Because you're right, there is a scenario where they're worse. You lose maybe your best defensive player, or one of them, with Tyron Matthew. McDuffie you, doesn't pan exactly. Out. A Chris bunch Jones of the rookies struggles. aren't ready. Yeah, yeah. Uh, guys getting injured, whatever it is. That that avenue is there. But it's funny. I sit here and I'm thinking this defense should be a lot better. Yes, and no, I agree they, with you. That avenue is there. Be. Yeah. No, I, there's no question the defense should be better. You've got another year of Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. Chris Jones, we know what he can do. It's just a matter of him kind of refining that form. They they don't have Daniel Sorensen anymore. If you think if you consider that, no more Daniel Sorensen <laughs> equals like four wins for the Chiefs. So when you consider that, they should be a lot better. But yeah, no, they definitely should be better. But again, I've talked about it time and time again. The day after the draft, everybody was saying Chiefs A plus, best draft ever. Did everything they did everything they needed to do. A plus draft, right? Hit on all their picks. But, I mean, how often do you see where first and second round picks are, besides the quarterbacks, are like immediate, really, really good impact guys? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen a whole lot, and it doesn't happen with multiple guys, right? So, I've, I've been concerned about it for a while. My concerns have been slightly alleviated, but, I mean, you're putting a lot of pressure on McDuffie. You're putting a lot of pressure on Karloftis. Now, signing Carlos Dunlap, I think, takes pressure off Karloftis. But McDuffie specifically, I mean, I mean, it worked for them with Marcus Peters right I, off the bat. It, it did, it did, uh, and and so I have reason to trust that the Chiefs know what they're doing with that. But mm. it it is still something to be concerned about because if those guys struggle or they don't pan out towards the end of the season, I mean, that could be tough. That could be tough for the Chiefs. So that their expectations are high. I think for the defense generally, I would say that's probably the general vibe in the fan base is that the people expect the defense to be a lot better for those reasons, and there's no doubt that they could be, but I am personally, I was very concerned. Now I'm more slightly concerned, but I, again, I, the, the, the good news for the Chiefs is the bar to be a better defense is pretty low. 
Yeah. Well, so, the way I see it, it's just that I do think that Willie uh, Gay and, and Nick Bolton will give you so much more at linebacker this yeah. year just by them playing more, by them being better, by them being older, all that stuff yeah. um, than they were last year. I think the defensive line should just be better than last year. Now, how much better is a question. And then, yeah, the secondary, there are certainly questions there, but I feel like Steve Spagnuolo has done a good enough job that I'm just going to, I guess, kind of trust in that. So um, what's your – what's your? I, I know we'll we'll have this game on game picks, but is there anything that sticks out to you like that, that you predict that you feel most likely about this game? doesn't have to be a score. doesn't have to be, you know, an over-under, but like, I don't know. Is there a rookie you think is going to have the biggest impact in the game? Is there a, a player that you think is going to have a giant impact outside of Patrick Mahomes, right? Is there something that you feel most certain about coming into this game? Hmm, that is interesting. Um, I want to go with the receiver. I think one of the receivers, like I think MVS or even even Miko Harbin, like I said, the 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 Miko Harbin discourse has seemed to have kind of faded into the background lately uh, about what his role is going to be. And so I think I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up making some plays mm-hmm. uh, in some capacity. And and also Isaiah Pacheco, another guy that obviously. He's had a roller coaster of a training camp slash preseason. If you consider the hype around him, where people did people didn't know how to pronounce his name, then all of a sudden he was people wanted him to start over Clyde Edwards-Helaire, and then he then he kind of towards the end of preseason, the kind of the expectations kind of plateaued, and people realized, okay, this guy's a, this guy's a seventh round pick. Like, what actually is his role going to be? What actually is his role going to be? You know, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I mean, he could. So he's he's a guy that some I would keep an eye on. And and yeah, Miko Hardman. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious about Miko Hardman. Yeah, I I think uh, I'm really curious to see what Sky Moore does in Game One. I kind of expect him to have a slow start, and then I could see him kind of building up along the way as the the season goes on. But yeah, it's it's that receiver room. That's probably where the biggest unknown is. There's clearly talent there, and and you don't know who those guys are going to be. I think it won't be something where hey, whoever the the top target week one like will for sure be the top target week two, but. Uh, we don't totally know that. I do feel like... Unless it's Kelsey. Yeah, correct, correct. I, I just mean from like the receiver room yeah, itself. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'm I, I'm most worried about is the Kyler Murray kind of running around aspect that they'll struggle to bring him down. But the one thing I feel best about um, outside of just like Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid, like the, the three kind of pillars there, I do think Nick Bolton and Willie Gay are going to put on uh, a good performance, which I think will make you feel a little bit better about the defense. All right, that is our Chiefs preview. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get some more KU audio and then our game picks coming up. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Another week, another chance for some more game picks here. Nick in week one, four and six, which not the best first week, but you know, you didn't bottom out. So that's that's a good honestly time. that's honestly better than I thought. I hadn't gone back and checked the picks, but I didn't I every game I saw it felt like I was losing. Well, I went seven and three, so I had a hot first week. Unfortunately, I did not really take my advice. So I'll probably end up taking more of my advice this week and then do terrible. That's that's how it goes. So this week we do have NFL back. We're gonna do five college football games, five NFL games. We're gonna do a lock of the week for both as well. And uh I guess we'll start with uh college football. First up where college game day is gonna be, although I'm not sure why they're not at BYU Baylor, but it is number one Alabama at Texas and even with college game day there, Alabama is giving up 20 points. Who are you taking? I'm going to go with Alabama. I, I I don't think Texas is in a position where they're going to be super competitive. We talked about this earlier in the week where with Texas, like how close does they need to be with Bamba to make you feel good about a chance that they might win the Big 12? So it's like, I don't know. But I'm taking Bamba. I know this line started at like, what, 16, I think, and now it's up to 20. 
Uh, but I'm still riding with Bama, and I will definitely be riding Bama one half. That's the greatest bet of all time. I, I swear to you, Bama one half is like 102. It's another official stat, by the way. <laughs> Over the past, you know, whatever years, I'm taking Bama. Yeah, I'm taking Bama as well. I uh, like Alabama has earned every bit of trust from everyone in the college football world. Texas has done the complete opposite. So why would I pick Texas in this? That's a good game? point. That's a good point. Number twenty-four Tennessee is given up six points at number seventeen Pittsburgh. I decided to go with Pittsburgh. I feel like after the win against West Virginia, they're going to be riding that and try to carry that momentum into the game against Tennessee and. They probably feel like they have something to prove a little bit, uh, being underdogs here. So I'm taking Pittsburgh. I think uh, I think they'll get the job done against Tennessee, or they'll at least cover. Pittsburgh won this matchup last year, 41-34. I think that one was in Knoxville, but obviously a lot less firepower offensively. Now they still have you know a lot of good players on that end and stuff. But I'm I'm gonna go Pittsburgh. I, I am a little scared because this feels like one of those trap bets by Vegas to be like, oh, we have the lower or we have the the better ranked team who's getting six points playing at home. Like, why would you not take them here? Take the bait. And I feel like I am taking the bait here. I just, I think to me, I I look at this, and I think Tennessee is being overvalued. Tennessee has been kind of this, like, sleeper pick in the SEC East, and I'm not really fully buying into it. Their defense was really bad last year. Like, yes, they have some really good players on offense and stuff, but I don't think they're this, like, overwhelmingly great team. So I'm going to go Pittsburgh. Tennessee is another team that like Texas, has really not done anything to gain anybody's trust in terms of being like an actual top-tier team over the past couple years. Number 25, Houston taking on Texas Tech. The Red Raiders are giving up three and a half points. This is being played in Jerry World. I decided to go with Houston. I think after their win against UTSA, they will find a way to get it done against Texas Tech or at least cover. And that's going to set up KU for a very interesting matchup mm. uh, against Houston after this after this week. So, I'm going with Houston here. I think Texas Tech, I think Tyler Shuck got hurt. I don't know what his status is, so I'm going to go with Houston. Yeah, I don't know what his status is either, but based on the injury, I'm just assuming he's not going to play for several weeks here. Um, I am going to go with Houston. I like the three and a half. Now, Tech gave Houston a bit of a beating a a season ago, Um, so that is in the back of my mind, but I, I just really like this Houston team this year and the fact that maybe they have a little extra edge because of that. Uh, it's not a true road game for them, so that's good. I'll go with Houston, getting the three and a half points. All right, so we we agree on everything. Let's see if we disagree on this one. Number 20, Kentucky, at number 12, Florida. The Gators are giving up six and a half points after their big win over Utah. Yeah, I'm not buying that. I'm going with Kentucky here. Uh, first of all, again, I want to see John Calipari sad, so I'm going with that. <laughs> Secondly, this, this is the classic... Well, Florida just beat a top seven team, so now they're going to be the best team ever after beating Utah. I'm riding Kentucky here. I think they'll. At the, I think they'll cover. They might even. I might pick them just to win outright in this game. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Kentucky has uh, several players who are suspended, and they haven't really updated the status of all of them. Like they were suspended for week one, and they were like in, suspended indefinitely. So. That, that could partially be mind games where they're just like, no, we, we have full intention of bringing them back, but we're, we're going to try to mess with Florida so they don't know what to prepare for. I don't totally know there. I, I do think that this, I don't know, Florida's just kind of dominated in this series. I, I don't love Kentucky either. I think they're another team that's SEC East Dark Horse, and in my eyes, I think Florida is probably the second best team in the SEC East behind just Georgia. I, I think Florida's able to, to power past. I think 
Every year there's a team who maybe starts off 4-0, 5-0 that you weren't expecting, and they rack up some good early wins, and then they wind up ranked like 6th or something, and then they finish like 8-4 and four or something like that. I, I feel like that could be Florida this year, so I'm going to take the Gators minus the 6.5. Uh, this is what should be college game day. Number 9, Baylor, <laughs> at number 21, BYU. The Cougars are giving up three points. This was a tough one. Uh, I've decided to go with Baylor here. I know... Both of both you and I are pretty high on BYU. Feel like they could be a college football playoff candidate, but this is going to be their pre-introduction to the Big Twelve, and I think Baylor is going to find a way to get it done on the road against BYU. BYU's tough place to play. Um, Baylor won this matchup last season. I, I'm going to go with BYU in this one. I, I've been on that train that the BYU could, you know, maybe challenge for the college football playoff, and and if they're going to. Like, this is one you probably need. Now, maybe if you lose this one and you win out, you'd still be 11-1 with some other really good wins. But, like, this would get you on the national stage early in the season to probably get you where you need to go. You have the former BYU offensive coordinator is the offensive coordinator now at Baylor. And, again, Baylor got the better of them a season ago. I think BYU gets them this year. They got a tough physical football team. I like the quarterback, although Blake Shapin looked really good in week one for Baylor. I'm going to take BYU, giving up three points here. What about your lock of the week? You, you missed it last week, so it wasn't quite a I lock. Did. I, I did. My lock of the week, well, okay, Colorado State, I just didn't realize how horrible their offense is. I thought they'd be able to do literally anything against <laughs> Michigan. So this week I'm hoping for some better luck. I'm going with App State, plus 19 at Texas A&M. They're coming off of that heartbreaking loss to North Carolina. They're going to continue to play inspired, and I think they're going to be able to cover the 19 against Texas A&M. I like that. I like that one a lot. Um, would you go as far to say that you think Appalachian State can win the game straight up? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't think I would go that far, but this could be like a 10-point a game, maybe, or a 14-point game. I think they I think they will cover. To win outright on the road at Texas A&M, I don't know if they can do that, but I like them to cover. All right, my lock of the week is going to be Colorado. They are getting 18 points at Air Force. Now, I get it. Air Force is really good this year. They could be like a double-digit win team in the Mountain West. Colorado is not good this year. But Colorado still has better like athletes on the field than Air Force. And I'm not saying that's going to lead to them winning. I, I think Air Force wins the game. But the, the style of play for Air Force with the triple option, it doesn't lend itself as well maybe to blowing a team out, right? This isn't run and gun where we're throwing it all over the field. I think Colorado can at least keep it close-ish. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take Colorado plus the 18 for my lock of the week. Remember, Air Force is the only, besides Alabama, Air Force is the only team in the country that's favored to win all their games. Yeah. So I don't think they're going by 18, though. Yeah, I mean, the triple option, it is tough to blow people out, obviously, but, you know, maybe anything can happen. Yeah. On to the NFL. First up, Philadelphia is giving up four points at your Detroit Lions. Yeah, I'm riding, I'm riding the Lions here. I'm riding the, the hard knocks wave. I think Detroit's going to come out and get a big win to start the season because, first of all, People are really high on Philadelphia, and I understand that they have A.J. Brown now, but I don't know. I'm not totally sold on Jalen Hurts. Miles Sanders is 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 a walking hospital. He's never healthy. <laughs> the, the defense is solid but not great. I'm picking the Lions here. I think they'll find a way to get it done against Philadelphia to start the season and continue to ride the heart, the wave of hard knocks. I'm, I'm going to go with Philly here. I, I really like what they did in the offseason. We already knew they were really good at the line of scrimmage. You add A.J. Brown. I uh, I think, I, I don't know, I have them winning the NFC East. I think it starts here. I like Philadelphia giving up the four points. I just, I love the hard knock story. I loved watching Detroit. <laughs> I, I like Dan Campbell and everything, but I just, I can't get Dude. around. I keep like looking at the roster. And I'm like, really? Like, that's your quarterback? That's your top 
Receiver, it's like so that's, hard not to buy in on hard knocks, though. It's so hard. <laughs> they get you every time. It doesn't work usually for a lot of teams, though. Not a lot of teams have a ton of success with hard knocks. Uh, New England at Miami. The Dolphins are giving up three and a half points. Miami's in for rude awakening here. Everybody's been, oh, Miami this, Miami that, Tyreek Hill, Tua, whatever. New England and Bill Belichick, they're just going to come out, and I think they're just going to smack the crap out of them, honestly, <laughs> in week one. I think this is an easy win for New England, not even close. Miami's going to have a full reset after week one. After all the hype, give me New England by a lot, I think. I like New England as well. You're giving them three and a half points. I, I think New England's going to finish with the same record, if not better, than Miami. Now, they have had trouble, especially during the Brady days, playing down in Miami, which is a little scary, but like, even with Tyreek, they get it Hill, out of the way early. They get it out of the way. Yeah, early. they do. Uh, like think back to all the game plans of the Patriots recently playing the Chiefs with Tyreek Hill. They were able to, you know, keep games close that maybe like Brian Hoyer was starting or, or games that you wouldn't <laughs> expect to be the case. Tua's obviously not as good as Patrick Mahomes. I think the Patriots can win this one outright. Green Bay giving up a point and a half at Minnesota. Similarly to Miami, I think Minnesota is in for a rude awakening here. Minnesota is becoming people's dark horse picks for the NFC. Whatever, Kirk Cousins is going to lead you to to what? To what? The second round of the playoffs? Yeah, give me the Packers here. Probably by a lot also in this game. And again, I think Minnesota is similar to Miami. is probably in for a bit of a reset after week one. And I'm, I think the Packers are probably going to win by a lot. Yeah, it does scare me a little bit that Green Bay has lost all these weapons. But I think they're going to be able to ground and pound a little bit with A.J. Dillon and um, Aaron Jones. And obviously you still have Aaron Rodgers. And, and basically this just boils down to me to one rule. Don't pick Kirk Cousins in a big game. I, I know there's the occasional win. Yeah, like is, he, is this Sunday night? Is this the Sunday night game? No, no, this is Sunday afternoon. Oh, um, okay. it, it, there is the occasional win by Kirk Cousins, right? He had the big win at the Saints in the playoffs a couple years ago, right? But for the most part, it hasn't really worked out for him in uh, big games. And Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, that's enough for me to take the Packers. Kansas City has given up six points at Arizona. Okay, I like the Chiefs here. I'm a little nervous because this line started at like three and a half or four. And now it's gone up to six. But I still think the Chiefs are going to cover. They've looked fantastic in preseason. They've given me no reason to think that they're not going to be able to continue to be dominant. So I'm going with the Chiefs here. And plus, Arizona, Rondale Moore got hurt. DeAndre Hopkins is out. And they have another injury on their offense. I can't remember who it was. It's so Kyler Murray, obviously, at quarterback. But they've got injuries to their wide receiver room. The Chiefs are going to win this game. I... uh. Man, I don't know. I just like the Chiefs struggled so much against rushing quarterbacks, dual threat quarterbacks last season. And this is when the Cardinals, this is when Kyler Murray are at their best, the early part of the season, right? Pre-caught. Yeah, and, and so I I don't know what to think of the Cardinals defense. Like you lose Chandler Jones, this could be something where the Chiefs just like, I don't know, score 42 points or something like that. But I'm going to go with Arizona. I think six is too much. Like it's still a playoff team from a season ago playing at home in their opener when they tend to be good. I'll take Arizona with the six. Would you have taken the Chiefs if, if or if, I would have? Yeah. Would if you have taken the Chiefs at four or three and a half? Yeah, yeah. yeah I would have. Uh, Tampa Bay minus two and a half at Dallas. Man, I really wanted to pick Dallas, but I just couldn't. I think Tampa Bay is just better, and they're. I think they're going to win this game. I mean, Tom Brady. These are the types of games that he that he finds a way to win. I remember Tampa Bay and Dallas played on last opening night. Yeah. Was it last year? Yeah, yeah, and it was a really really close mm-hmm. game. Uh, but I think Tampa Bay will find a way to get it done. Only two and a half, like like I said, last year's game I think was like a one-point game or two-point game, so that makes me kind of nervous, but I think Tampa Bay will cover uh, in this game against Dallas. Man, I'm, I keep like, my head is telling me, I, I don't know, I don't have like any heart on this, but like I, I keep just going over this matchup and I'm like, oh, you have Micah Parsons, one of the elite pass rushers in the NFL. The Bucks offensive line is beat up. 
That's not great. Um, Mike Evans dealing with injury stuff. Chris Godwin dealing with injury stuff. Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski, who were two of their top three targets from a season ago, no longer on the roster. Tom Brady missing time in training camp. Like, there's a lot there that makes me think, okay, Dallas, Dallas could win this game, especially being played at home. I just, yeah, Tampa Bay's defense is still really good. Uh, you have a lot of elite players, a lot of fast players on that end, and I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep betting on Tom Brady till we see like the Peyton Manning <laughs> season at the end there, right? So I'll take Tampa Bay as well. What is your lock of the week? My lock of the week is the Chargers minus 3.5 against the Raiders. I think the Raiders are going to take a little bit more time to kind of figure things out, and the Chargers, I, I think, are going to have the opposite problem. I think they're going to be able to get out really quick early in the year. So I'm, I think the Chargers are going to win this game pretty convincingly, and I think it's going to lead to more Chargers AFC Championship discourse, even though it's all wrong. But, uh, yeah, I think the Chargers are going to win this game. All right, I'm going to go with Carolina. Revenge game for Baker Mayfield. It's a pick em with the Browns. It does scare me. The Browns have definitely the better defense, and you have you know Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney on the edge. Uh, they could just run their way to a win when you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but I think Baker Mayfield shows up. I like the weapons of Carolina. Um, Christian McCaffrey already getting injured isn't ideal, but I think he'll still play in the game, and this is when you want to pick the Panthers because Christian McCaffrey should be at his healthiest uh, over the course of the season. So I'll take Carolina yeah, in I'm, the uh, revenge game. I'm kind of surprised that's a pick em because I think if you look at the rosters, the Browns are undoubtedly way better. Mm-hmm. But obviously, at quarterback, they don't have Deshaun Watson. Yeah, Jacoby so Brissett. Like, yeah, Jacoby Brissett. Like, does that really inspire a lot of confidence? But, I mean, it's not like – I mean, is Baker Mayfield that much better than Jacoby Brissett? No. No, probably, well, eh, maybe, maybe, hopefully. Uh, he is Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is our game picks for the week. This is RCST, two hours down, one to go. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on another edition of RCST. We uh, have some more KU player audio to get to you. And then coming up at 7 o'clock tonight, Nick is going to be on the call with Craig Hershiser for the Free State High School football game. They are at home against Olathe Northwest. You can hear it with pregame starting at 645 here on KLWN and kickoff scheduled for 7 o'clock between the Firebirds and the Ravens. But it is that time on a Friday. Stock market officially closed. Let's get to our sports stock market here. First up, stocks down on Texas being back. Now, you might say, hey, they're 1-0. They have college game days in town this week. They're taking on Alabama. Well, besides the fact that they're probably going to get boat raced by Alabama, so that wouldn't be great for being back. Um, Quinn Ewers, the QB1 for Texas, he had his car towed during the first game of the season. I'm sorry, but back in the day, you know, if Texas truly was back, that's not happened. Vince Young ain't getting his car towed. Yeah. Here's my question. Is there anything that more unanimously unites the people in anger against than <laughs> university parking people? Oh gosh. That's a great question. Is there is there anything that you that that <laughs> rouses up the general anger of mm. of, you know, whoever than university parking police? I don't think so. I mean, uh, yeah. And I mean, number never, one at the University I've of never, Kansas. I've never met a single person that was like, oh, yeah, I love parking. I love the parking yeah. place. No, I think yeah, you're right. They're great people. Yeah, because you're right. Like, enemy number one yep. at the University yeah. of Kansas Public is Public enemy number parking. one. Yes. Yeah. 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 
but this this doesn't happen if it's you know prime Texas, right? No, or I don't if it's think so. some big quarterback. I guess what well, happened. I mean, I wonder what kind of car he drives. Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I guess what happened was he had the parking pass and he like switched it with his family or something on accident or. He ended up having the wrong parking pass. You could like sort of understand it, but shouldn't you know? Shouldn't the parking people know um, Quinn Ewers, you know, car? Um, Maybe. I mean, it's QB1 in Texas. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's got NIL deals. He might have multiple cars. You know, I don't know. I don't love it, How many cars do you think Vince Young was driving around back in the days? He could have whatever he wanted. Exactly. Right. Exactly. All right, stock is going wild on the Chiefs concessions. Because this year at Chiefs games, obviously home games, so won't be available for this week. Doritos encrusted empanadas with ground beef, onions, cheddar jack cheese, and avocado crema. The picture looks pretty good if it comes out this way. It's just like yeah. an empanada with, you know. I think great. it looks horrible. Are you, are you serious? See, I think the picture looks fine. Well, it doesn't even look like Doritos. That's what I'm confused about. What do you mean? They're crushed up. Well, I thought it would be like, what kind of Doritos are we talking here? Like nacho cheese? I, sa- whatever the other, what's the other flavor? Whatever. Uh, well, there's ranch, but I'm, ranch? I'm assuming these are either, the ch- I, I'm assuming they're cheese. But, but they, they could be that like sweet Thai spicy they chili. They don't look like, they don't, they don't well, look like. they're crushed up. Cheese. Well, but they, wouldn't they still be like the color of that they normally are? They are. Or is there when they deep fry them or they whatever? Are. Then like. I think they are. Oh. Um, right. I mean, they're going to get deep fried though. So some of them are going to get a little darker than the rest. I. I think this looks fine on on you know the picture. What they're going to come out as though is not going to be like the picture, so they're probably so? not going to be very great. But see, I don't know what to do with this because on one hand, empanadas delicious, okay. Doritos delicious, Doritos encrusted empanadas. Sure, let's try it. Yeah, it's it's age old question of if you have two things that separately are delicious, mm-hmm. if you put them together, do they are they still delicious or no longer delicious? See, but I don't think these things are like completely opposite. Like, this isn't like ice cream and. Uh, well, like an, an example that I think of is like, I went to a donut shop once and they had bacon donuts. Right? Yeah, and it's I, like I love bacon, and I love donuts, but I don't want a bacon donut. See, I like bacon donuts. No, you get I don't the wanna, sweet. You get the savory. No, I don't want a. You've bacon never like donut. dipped your bacon in uh, like you know you're you're doing pancakes with syrup or well, something. Yeah, that's you dip in the syrup. It's the same idea. No, it's not sweet and savory. No, that's totally different. That's <laughs> that's syrup. It's not a donut. Donuts are great. Yeah, exactly. Donuts are great, but I don't want my donut to taste like bacon. If I wanted bacon, I would just eat bacon. If I want a donut, I'll just get a well, donut. Why'd you order the bacon donut? I didn't order it. That's oh, okay. what I'm saying. I didn't get it because I didn't want to get it. Because in my mind, I was like, I'm here to get donuts. If I wanted to get bacon, I would just get bacon. See what I'm saying? I'm gonna buy you a bacon donut, and I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm, you're gonna be like, actually, this is pretty good. I don't. I don't think I'm gonna like it <laughs> because it's 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 two things that I love, but I don't want them to go together. See, I think of like two things that I love. Like, if you were like combine pizza with <laughs> a cookie, I'd be like, "What are we doing here?" I mean, red sauce a- on a chocolate chip cookie. Oh, yeah. No, no, like I, I like a cookie. No, I know it's great, but like, yeah. no, I know it's yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like some people are gonna be like, "Okay, this is great." Other people are gonna be like, "This is disgusting." So, did you ever try the KFC Cheetos thing? No, I never. It was did. like the Cheeto. I don't even know what it was. It was like mm-hmm. che- it was like a chicken sandwich, but Cheetos. Or something, right? I don't remember what it was. No, I never tried that. I never did like the. They had the KFC. Um, oh gosh, what was it? Where the buns were just like chicken on its own. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna be honest. I don't think I've had KFC since I was like ten. I couldn't tell you the last time either. KFC is like the prototypical like middle class Friday night 
meal for the family. <laughs> right? Pick up some, some <laughs> pick chicken. Up some, pick up some KFC. But after I got to like 12, 13, we stopped getting it. Mm. So I haven't had KFC in, in forever. We were more of a Boston Market family. And I don't even know if they have those I out don't even here. know what that is. Yeah, see? Exactly. Um, okay, uh, <laughs> this one for stock. By the way, yeah. Would you say that's stock up or like stocks down on Chiefs concessions? Um, I would say stocks up. Mm-hmm. On Chiefs concessions. Okay. Yeah. They're stocks diversifying. Up. Yeah. Diversifying. Yeah. 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 They're diversifying their portfolio. Stocks up. Stocks All right. Up. Uh, stock is up on fantasizing about your own football players. I'm not talking about fantasy football. I'm talking about fantasy football. Uh, Vikings special teams coordinator. <laughs> I, I hated that. Matt Daniels on Jalen Rager. Rager uh, just got traded from the Eagles to the Vikings. Here's what he said: the Vikings, Vikings special teams coordinator. He's a very stout, cocky-built guy. Narrow, thick, strong legs, big glutes, really nice calves. I was salivating over this dude. That's a direct quote. Full stop. Full stop. First of all, the I was actually fine with this until the I was salivating over this dude part. <laughs> you know, because talking about NFL players' large calf muscles and large, you know, tree trunk thighs and all that stuff. That's that's not necessarily new, right? Like no. like the amount of people that talk about you know, Saquon Barkley or, or AJ Dillon, AJ Dillon mm-hmm. right? Like those people that are fantasizing about those guys tree trunk legs, right? I mean, one yeah. of his legs is like three of mine. But <laughs> the the part that really and the reason why the stocks are up on this is because he this guy takes it a step further to say that he was salivating, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like the unspoken thing. Like if people are talking about if a coach is talking about Saquon Barkley, for example, or anybody, and saying, "Oh yeah, you know, he's got really large thighs that are really awesome, really like them," right? That that's one thing. But then, so in his mind, he's probably thinking, "Oh yeah, I was salivating over this dude." But you don't say that. You don't say it. No. This no, that's such it. a weird way of saying it. Like you, yeah, the salivating part is. What is he doing? Like a uh, Bill Belichick's kid on the sideline? Like yeah, like the you know, little. <laughs> I was I was thinking about making a noise and I was like, how am I going to be able to translate that visual onto audio? But I, I, I think you did a pretty good, did a good job, job there. Okay. Yeah, I think you nailed that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, stock is up on fantasizing well, about like, your own football players. It's like uh, the in my mind, what I was going for there was like the Homer Simpson when he like when he sees donuts, mm-hmm. starts drooling. That's the noise that I was going for. Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. Um, okay, what are we doing with baseball stock? Because uh, this is coming from today. Major League Baseball's competition committee has voted to implement a pitch clock and ban defensive shifts starting in 2023. Also, bigger bases were unanimously agreed upon. And so as part of this, here's the, like, I guess more detailed part of the rules. It'll be a 15-second pitch clock with bases empty. It will be a 20-second pitch clock with runners on. And then two fielders are required to be on both sides of the second base bag with both feet on the dirt. So thoughts. This is stocks down. Stocks down 100%. First okay. of all, if you're going up against the shift, just don't hit into the shift. Like, it's not rocket science. Just don't hit into the shift, you know? So I think it's stocks down. If, if teams want to shift and, and you, if you're a hitter and you are can only pull it or only hit it to one area, that's mm-hmm. your fault. Be better. Get, <laughs> be better at hitting or bunt or something. I mean, I, I think the shift, I never had a problem with it. I mean, like I said, just, just be better, mm-hmm. you know? I'm I, I'm always I was always so shocked that guys would never bunt against the shift. Just do it. They'll stop shifting if you do that. I bet. I w- I, I bet you. Right. Yeah. Or or just be a better hitter. Don't hit it to the same spot. Sixty percent of the time. Seventy percent of the time. That certainly helps. Um. But 
I would just say, okay, so let, uh, I'm, I'm indifferent towards the pitch clock. Stock's down on the shift. I'm indifferent towards the pitch clock. I don't think the pitch clock will change anything. Yeah, so, like, here's where I'm at. If we're, if we're approaching this as, like, a stock up or stock down on, like, viewership or interest in baseball. I think it's neutral. I, I think, think it's it, neutral. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think it does anything. I don't think somebody who's like, you know what, I wasn't going to watch that MLB playoff game is all of a sudden going to be like, Ooh, but now they have pitch clocks, so I, I get to spend 15 less minutes on a game I wasn't going to originally watch. I don't think that's that's going to be the case, right? Dude, we're just catering to the hitters nonstop in yeah. baseball nowadays. Just, I, just, just babying them. Just well, be a better hitter. I, I do think this will create a more... Because you are right. You you wish that there was more change, but the other part of that is that pitching is as good as it has ever been, so yeah. it's harder to to maybe do that. So like I think from a, a standpoint of people who already do watch baseball... I kind of want to say stocks up. So, like, the first part of this is the larger bases. A lot of people are like, that's a weird rule. Why do you want larger bases? Like, what does that have an impact on? So, here's the idea for the larger bases. It's, one, it avoids more injuries, right? If you have a larger base, like, yeah. for instance, a first base, you have less of those collisions, possibly if there's a throw that's offline that forces the first baseman away. But also, the bigger part of the larger bases is that it's to, one, help stealing, and B... Again, back to the injury thing, if you're sliding into a base, there have been injuries where guys have like broken a finger or something has happened because the base is being blocked and you just kind of run into each other. Now it's a bigger base, harder to block it for someone, but also it's the idea that with bigger bases, A, it's maybe just even .01 seconds faster that you get to the base because it's a little bit closer to you, but more importantly that there's the wider area for you to be able to slide to. And now you can take a even further path like away from the base yeah. where it's going to be a further tag. So like it just could create a few more steals, which if we're talking about some of the issues with, with baseball, it's it's the three true outcome stuff, right? It's the strikeout walk or home run where we're not getting as many like action plays over the course of the game to where as a fan, you're not getting as many plays that are, I guess, giving you interest of stuff, right? Steel plays or steel attempts are plays of action in the MLB. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, the, the the pitch clock, like you said, I don't know. I, I'm kind of going back and forth. Like how strictly are they going to enforce this? Yeah, I'm envisioning this, this is going to be like the NFL play clock. Right. Where it can be at zero for like three seconds and nobody cares. <laughs> right. And then the broadcasters have to tell you that, yeah, but the mechanism, how they do it is, which is like, that doesn't make sense to me, is the mechanism, how they do it is they look. Here, okay. Also, yeah, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. No, you're Here, fine. Here's a, here's a question. Mm -hmm. What's the penalty for the clock hitting zero? Is it like a, a, it's what, a ball? A it's a ball. It's a ball every it's time? It's a ball. No, just a ball. Oh, just a ball. Yeah, just oh, a ball. Okay. So, like, we, we had, because uh, they, they, they've been trying this out in the minor leagues, there have been guys who have, like, walked on three pitches. You know what yeah. I mean? So, like, there is a real penalty to it if they're going to enforce it that way. But if they're going to be lenient, it's not really going to matter much. Now, this could also impact, it's not just that you're going to speed up the game that way. Part of the reason that all these pitchers are able to, to gas out on, like, every pitch nowadays and, and everybody's throwing 97, 98, 99 is that you have as much time as you want between pitches that... Think about it from like a weightlifting perspective, right? It's going to be a lot easier to bench press your max bench if you do one and then you take a 30-second break than it is for you to do multiple in a row, right? So yeah. by, by basically condensing the time for rest in between pitches, you also could have 
a little less velocity. Like maybe guys who are consistently sitting 96 are going to sit 95 next year. And just that one tick in velocity that could go down over the course of the game, maybe that does lead to more contact. Maybe that does lead to quicker games. Maybe that does lead to more action plays in the field. So I like that as well. Um, again, like it might not actually do anything, but I don't think it's going to have a negative impact. The pitch. Yeah, clock. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it would have a negative impact mm-hmm. really either. To go back to your discussion about the larger bases. Yeah. That was all great and, uh, you know, whatever. Here's what I heard. More reviews. That's what I heard. That that more certainly reviews. could be a problem. Yeah, if there's if there's more plays that involve sliding cool into sliding base, plays. Yeah, exactly. It could the lead to The manager's going to come mm-hmm. out. He's going to give his piece. Yeah, I would agree with that. We're going to go to a review. Then the review is going to take forever. Mm-hmm. And then... And then the, the the two minutes per game that you're going to save in the pitch clock, you're going to add six minutes mm-hmm. each game with all the reviews you're going to have to do. Yeah, you might be right there. I, I That would not surprise me. So that might be the one negative there. The last thing is just the the uh, the shift. And, and this part of it is honestly like a point where I don't know how much this one's going to matter. Because you know what has happened in some of those minor league games where they banned the shift? They'll line, like hypothetically, let's say they want the guy who's playing shortstop to actually wind up on the the first base side of the second base bag, what they'll do is they'll just line up, you know, their first and second baseman, however they were going to line up as part of that shift, and they'll line up the shortstop as close as he can get to being over that line of the second base bag, as far as he can go, and as soon as the pitcher starts his motion, he just takes off. Yeah, I, so I, it's I like, think it's silly. This is going to be stupid. This part, I don't think, is going to have that much of an impact. I think they're going to still find a way to do shifts. So that's not really a big deal to me. And again, just be better at hitting. Yeah, that would make it a lot easier, wouldn't it? Okay, I, I shouldn't be saying that, though, from where <laughs> I sit. Uh, last one, stocks stay bottomed out on the World Cup being in Qatar. I mean, it's, it's just, from a standpoint, one of it being in the fall, there's going to be football on as opposed to having it over the summer. No, not cool. Um... Bunch of people died building the stadiums. No, not cool. Uh, it's going to be super hot there. No, not cool. Um, you can like get arrested for things like I'm just about to bring up. If you get caught drinking in public in Qatar, um, you can have fines up to about 700 euros, or you can get prison sentences up to six months. And despite, obviously, as you would imagine, this isn't just like an American thing where we like drinking. Hey, guess what? Like all European countries love to drink, right? <laughs> Especially during soccer match. Yeah. And, and uh, like South America, every country loves to drink except for, right? So like they're saying that they're going to have alcohol available to limited designated areas, but fans will not be able to bring their own booze. They won't be able to drink outside of that. And if they get caught, you're going to have some people who go out there for a good time. Boom. Arrested in jail for a month. I can't yeah. imagine being in a prison system in a an area in Qatar that you probably don't speak the local language is going to be uh, super ideal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just this whole thing is a horrible idea. Yes, no. It's it's it has gone from from bad to really bad to worse <laughs> somehow. And yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting because on one hand, it's like how many times have we seen various sporting events and sport venues come out with a policy like this where. Mm-hmm anti-alcohol or whatever right and then people show up and they can't enforce it and they're like okay you know what whatever but i don't know these guys seem pretty serious about about this so i mean yeah it's 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 interesting because you would think in my like you would think that if you're going to host a big event like this you want to be as hospitable as possible yeah 
to drive up tourism, to drive up, you know, whatever, right? And instead, you're going to take away one of the things, one of the... I'm trying to think of the right word. One of the when people want to celebrate. It's, it's exactly. one of the one of, one of the pillars, the core of, pillars of sports. Yeah, right? one, of the, one, of the, one of the pillars of of the World Cup, mm-hmm. of soccer, of whatever. Right, is just having a beer with your buddies, watching the games. Yeah, well, multiple beers. That's unfortunate. So stock stays at a zero on that. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got more KU football player audio to get to you coming up on the other side here on RCST.